Well, today, we're going to continue on with our, our journey through Genesis. And so grab your Bibles. In a few minutes, we're going to look at a, a section of Scripture. And we're going to, we're going to come, we come today in Genesis, um, after last week looking at, at Babel. Um, we come today uh, to a section today where it starts with the patriarchs. It starts with, who's the first patriarch? Abraham, right. At this point in the Genesis, he's referred to as Abram. And it's interesting how uh, uh, well, God, when he transitions in our lives so often in Scripture, he has people change their names. So at this point, we're going to come to Abram, Abraham, later called that. And uh, we refer, refer to him as a patriarch because he was uh, the founding person in God's creating of the nation of Israel. And the patriarchs are those men, those that God raised up, um, as the founding leaders that established the family line that became the Jewish people from which eventually Jesus would arise. And so this is a pretty important guy. This is a guy that Jesus' whole family line starts through. He's the, he's the beginning of it. He's the, the patriarch. And Abraham, uh, Abram is the man that God looked around the whole world and chose this guy and said, out of you I'm going to build a family. And we're going to find out later the, the miracle family he produced. Um, in other weeks, and, and it produced a family, and from the family, a nation. And God said that from that family and that nation, that would, they would then be a blessing upon all of humanity. And, and we know with thousands of years of hindsight what that's all about, that they have been a blessing on all of humanity, in the sense, again, that the Savior has come up uh, through, the, through that line of Abraham, and we have the opportunity to come into right relationship with God because of this. Now, in the book of Genesis, there's a lot of chapters devoted to, to Abraham and Abram. But for today, I just want us to focus on the first two chapters that he's mentioned, chapters 12 and 13. And, and in these chapters, it tells about God's original calling of Abraham and his first experiences of his working um, and walking in relationship with God. We kind of get an insight into Abraham coming into a relationship with God and God speaking to him and seeing Abraham learn how to walk out that relationship. And the reason that I want us to uh, focus on this today, on this beginning part of his relationship with walking with God um, in, in this early part of his journey, is that I think we find some really important life principles revealed through the life of Abram here. And I think they're ones that you and I need to learn. Matter of fact, today I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back and kind of uh, um, really uh, celebrating in my spirit because as I think about it, these are really things that, that have to do with maybe at times in life when things aren't going so good. And you need the calm rest of God, the calm peace of God. And uh, that would make sense today. Well, I've got to have that sense of just calm peace. Because these are kind of those, those things that we learn from the life of Abram that uh, show us that we can be at peace with the Lord no matter what's going on around us. And that's kind of the message we're going to see today as we, we look into his life. Well, without having to read all of chapters 12 and 13, and we'll look at some verses in it in a, in a few minutes, let me summarize for all of us what those chapters cover. Because um, some of you, here's the wonderful thing about church, when, when it's healthy and growing and strong, some of you, this is the old, old story. You could tell me backwards and forwards the life of Abram. Um, but for some of you, you never heard of the guy before. Or if you heard about him, it was from something 35 years ago you heard in some children's book, but right now you've never maybe even read about him. Uh, you're pretty new to the faith, and, and this is a brand new guy to you. So let me summarize um, what we find in chapters 12 and 13. It starts um, with the call of God into Abraham's life. And let's just, let's just read uh, this call of God um, in, the, in Abraham's life and just see how he starts off talking to him. Abraham's been in process of coming towards the promised land, the land that God's going to call him to, 
and he speaks to him, and he says something pretty amazing. Matter of fact, it's, it's the reason why today we still pray for Israel, uh, really is found in these verses. The reason why we're pro-Jewish um, nation as a people um, group, I think, is because of these, these verses, this first calling of God in the life of Abraham. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It starts right there with God calling Abraham, at the age of 75 years old, Abraham's not a young guy, at 75 years of old, God calls him and says, I want you to leave where you are, your father's house in Haran. He had lived in Ur of Chaldees, and they were on their way towards Canaan, and, and his father, they stopped in, in Haran, and, and then he waits for his father to die, and God speaks to him, now his father is dead, and he's 75, and God speaks to him, and he says to him, listen, come to a land which I'm going to show you, bring with you your, not your, your whole family, leave your relatives but he brings with him his wife and his nephew Lot and, and all that they had. And they begin a 400-mile journey from Haran to go to this land that God said, come to this land and I'll show you where it is and I'm going to bless you in that land. And, and they come and they journey 400 miles. It tells about in chapters 12 and 13. They, they journey 400 miles and they, they come into the land of Canaan, the land of the Canaanites, where the Canaanites live. And, and they set up their tents, it says, in a couple of different places in Canaan. And, um, they, and God, again, speaks to Abram in the land in, in these chapters. And he says to him, guess what? Um, I'm going to give you all this land for your descendants. Everywhere you see, everywhere you put your foot down in this land, this land is going to be land given to you and your descendants. And Abram builds altars in this land, and, and he worships the Lord. And it's something we're going to find he does repeatedly throughout his entire existence. That he, he begins to say, okay, God, I'm going to, um, in this land, I'm going to build altars and worship you here. And so as he's in this land and he's pitched his tent there and he said, God's going to give me all this land, he's, he's, he's living in this new place, he discovers a few things in the land. He discovers that the land isn't as great as he thought. First thing he discovers is that there's Canaanites in the land, the people of Canaan. And that they're a, uh, as a group of people, they're not, they're not so nice. And uh, they certainly don't have the same enthusiasm for him possessing the land as he has for him possessing the land. And, and he realizes, God, uh, couldn't you have taken me somewhere that doesn't have a bunch of people who don't want me here? And so he, he comes to the land and he finds that, that you know, maybe it's not going to be so easy for me and my descendants to have this land because there's other people who possess it before us. He also finds something else. He finds when he gets to the land that it's a land that's, that's not rich and things going well. Matter of fact, he comes into a land that it tells him is in a severe famine. And so he enters this land that God has called him to and he comes here and God says, it's all for you. And, and he finds out somebody else lives there already and he, and he says, I want to feed my family. I got myself and my wife and all my kids and, and all of the servants rather and Lot and all his people and, and there's a famine in the land, God. And so what's Abraham do? He takes his people and his possessions and he heads out of the promised land and he heads to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt and in Egypt... We find something interesting in this story, in these chapters about, about him. Interesting, he didn't do this when he came into the Canaanites, but he knew something about Pharaoh. And he comes into Canaan, and, or into, into Egypt, and, and he's afraid of Pharaoh. And if you know the story, you know what he's afraid of. He's got this knockout, gorgeous, beautiful wife named Sarah. Sarai at this time. 
And he goes, I'm afraid to come into the land because if I come into the land, Pharaoh is going to see my beautiful wife. Now, she's 65 at this time. 65, and she's so beautiful that he's afraid Pharaoh's going to see her and take, kill him and take her into his harem. And so he says, Sarai, say that you're my sister, not my wife. And they come into the land, and everything pretty much that, that he was afraid of happened except him getting killed because of Sarai. And said, just what happens is Pharaoh's people see this beautiful woman, and they say, hey, Pharaoh, you've got to have this one. You add her to your harem. And, and he goes, and he takes her and brings her into his harem. And his wife... This wife that he came into the land with that, that he doesn't know is going to be the wife of the, the mother of the miracle child. Isaac, in a while, is going to have the family line of Jesus come through him, now becomes uh, a member of Pharaoh's harem. And, and uh, Pharaoh, instead of killing him, begins to give him all kinds of gifts because he says he wants to bless him because he wants Sarah. And then something happens. I don't, it doesn't really say how. I don't know if it was from an angel of the Lord. I don't know if it was a, a, a divine word from some prophet that God sends or whatever. But, but Pharaoh figures out there's all these plagues that come on Pharaoh. And Pharaoh figures out the reason for the problem is that uh, um, he's got this woman in his harem, and it's not Sarah, the sister of Abram. It's Sarai, the wife of Abram. And he realizes, I can't take him out of a man's wife. And so he, he sits you know, Abram down and, and says, what in the world are you doing to me? Why are you bringing this trouble onto my house? And he, sends, he chastises them, and he, he sends them out of the land. And so, so Abram, this, after getting kind of chewed out by Pharaoh, the end of chapter 13, he and his people and his possessions, the same ones that had left the, this land of Canaan and come down into Egypt, they head right back to where they came from. And they head right back uh, to Canaan. And uh, Abraham comes and he worships the Lord again. And once again, God promises, says, look at all this land. I'm going to give it all to you and to your descendants. Now it's kind of a the, the, the Cliff's Notes version of chapters 12 and 13. But there's some principles in this story that we learned here that we um, are going to find that there are some similarities between Abram's experience and his walk with God during that period of time in his life and your experiences as you walk with God. And I want to talk about a couple of them today. And the first one we're going to find from the story is this, that God rarely leads you to an easy place. Understand this. God led Abram. God rarely leads you to an easy place. And I'm going to tell you right out, the, right out of the shoot, friends, if you don't understand this principle of walking with God, you will often be frustrated and you will most likely conclude that because of the difficulties that you are encountering, somehow you are out of the will of God. Was Abram out of the will of God when he went to Canaan? No. God told him to go there. He gets there and there's trouble. And he says, I must be out of the will of God. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Troubles are all around you, and maybe you've got a few Job's comforters around you telling you you must be doing something wrong, and you conclude because things haven't worked out in a rosy manner that somehow I must be out of the will of God. Well, friends, Abram got to Canaan, the land that God had led him to, and he found that it was inhabited by a group of ruthless, idolatrous people, and the land was in the midst of a famine, and you'd have to think, like I think he thought, doesn't it seem that maybe God made a mistake? Maybe God messed up. Of all the places you could take me, God, this is probably not the place you could take me. got to a hard place. Well, understand something, church. God didn't mess up. God knew exactly what he was doing. There's a reason why God took him to a hard place. There's a reason why God takes you to hard places. And it's this. You see, he often leads us 
into circumstances where difficulties exist for a reason. He does it so that he can be glorified by doing mighty things in and through you. The reason God takes you to a hard place is so that he can be glorified and you will be blessed as he does mighty things in and through your life. You see, God brought Abraham, Abram to a tough place where he would in time prove his greatness by working in the life of Abram in this hard place. As God began to bless him in that land, as God began to work through him in that land, people would see God give this entire land that was already inhabited to Abram and to his descendants. People would see God provide for Abram and bless him in this land, and they would say, truly your God is real, and God would receive glory because they saw God take him through incredibly difficult circumstances. The difficulties served as opportunities for God to reveal his supernatural abilities through the life of Abram. You know, in just a few years, in 25 years from this time in Abraham's life, God was going to provide a miracle child to Abram as an older man of 100 and Sarah as an old woman of 90. He's going to provide this miracle child in the land where he blessed them. He had it all planned about to do it there. He wants to say, I brought you into tough circumstances, Abram, and I'm going to give you miracles in the midst of the toughness so that people can see that I'm really with you. He had to take him into a hard place. God brings us into difficult circumstances so he can bring extraordinary solutions into our lives. God wants to say, I am different than the world around me. If you walk with me, I will do the impossible through you, and he has to take us into hard circumstances sometimes in order to do that. Well, as I was thinking about this this week and I was preparing this message, I felt led to do something that was kind of strange. I felt led of the Lord to take out our church directory, and I grabbed it. And I began to thumb through and look at the pictures of the people in our church directory, and I felt directed to the Lord to say, look at their lives. Think about each one. I went through every single picture in a directory, and I began to say, God, what challenges are in these people's lives? God, what things are going on in their lives and that, that maybe are opportunities, God? They're hard situations, but they're opportunities where you want to do something miraculous in their lives. And as I began to go through, I began to get excited. I really did. I began to get excited because I began to go through your pictures, picture by picture, and say, man, I know the struggles they're going through. I know the, the, the child who's sick. I know the, the situation where they can't seem to pay the bills. I know the situation where there's, where there's heartache and brokenness because of, of divorce. I know the situation because of illness. I know the situation because of financial problems. I know the situation because of wayward children. I began to go through the directory directed by the Lord and saying, God, in almost every single case, I can find big obstacles in the way. I can find things that, God, they're, they're real and big. And I began to say, God, are we uh, normal? Are we like the rest of the world? And I really felt the Lord say, you're exactly like the rest of the world. You've got all these obstacles in your way, all these, these situations that, that are in our lives that can challenge us. And we say, God, I tried to follow you and you brought me into a land, but now that I'm in the land, God, how come this has happened in my life? You feel like Abraham. And you say, God, you took me to a place. You told me to go from here to here, and I did it, God. I listened. I left it all. I came here. And now I'm here, and it's just not working out the way I thought it was supposed to work. I got situations and problems and challenges and difficulties. God, you must not be here. God wants to tell you something, church. He wants to tell you something, the same thing he was trying to show to, to Abram back then, that you know what? God's not left you. 
God has not left you, that God has solutions and blessings to your situations beyond anything you could ever imagine, that God is in the midst of it. Sometimes God brings us to, to hard times. Friends, God rarely leads us to easy places. In almost every situation that I have been led by the Lord since I've been serving Him, led into going into doing new ministry situations, in every single one, God has taken me and my family to places of great challenge. Not once has He taken me to an easy place. He takes me to places of great challenge. And you know what I've noticed about going to places of great challenge? I have seen God do great miracles. I have seen God do extraordinary miracles in going to places of great challenge. And friends, you know what? I wouldn't give up to the challenge. I wouldn't give up saying, God, take me to an easy place. Because when you go to a place of a challenge, then God does miracles that he wouldn't have had to done if everything was going easy. You know what being sent to an easy place is? Sometimes you say, well, God, just make it easy on me. God, just make it easy. You know, God, I just want a life of simple and ease, and I want to, I want to, you know, sit at the lake in the rocking chair and, and I'll, I'll, my old thing, you know, listen to the loons and rock in the chair and catch some fish and not deal with any life. You know what? You know what? Being going to the easy place is called. It's called being put out to pasture. You know what being put out to pasture is? Being put out to pasture is what you do with an old horse that's worked hard and he's given it all and there's really nothing left in him. You don't have the heart to take him and, and uh, send him to the slaughterhouse and make dog food out of him, so you stick him out in pasture. And he spends the rest of his life chomping on the grass and not accomplishing anything. You know what? God's not ready to put you out to pasture. God's not ready to put you out to pasture and the way you know it is you've got some challenges in your life. He has wonders to accomplish in and through you. Wonders to accomplish that come through the difficulty. Abraham went to that land and he had to scratch his head and say, God, you're nuts. There's easier places. But God said, no, no, Abraham. I'm bringing you here on purpose. I'm going to lead you to a tough place. And in the tough place, I'm going to show you incredible miracles. If you know the rest of the story, God showed him incredible miracles in the land, didn't he? He did. He showed him incredible miracles. We'll learn about those in the weeks to come. So that's the first thing we understand is that, that God really takes you to an easy place. The second thing we find out in these first two chapters about Abraham and Abram, rather, we learn is this, that God allows us to take detours in our journey in order to shape us. God allows us, I'm not saying God has us or tells us to, as a matter of fact, he often doesn't want us to, but God allows us to take detours in our journey in order to, to shape us. God called Abram to Canaan, right? Abram gets to Canaan and found that it was a whole lot tougher than he had expected. So what's he do? He does what every rational, self-respecting, self-run man does. He takes his family and he leaves the will of God and he heads off to Egypt. He says, it's too tough here. I got a better plan in my mind. He says, I'm going to go off to some other place where it makes more sense. And he heads down to Egypt where the Nile River's running through there and there's, there's lushness and there's no famine. And, and God, I'm not going to let my family suffer. I'm going to take them down there. And he heads off to Egypt. And once in Egypt, he got in all kinds of trouble. He almost lost his wife. His wife, who was a gift from God that God had ordained to be the mother of Isaac, who would be the line of Jesus, he almost blew it because he left the will of God and went on a detour. He almost lost his life. Pharaoh could have just as easily chopped off his head, but God had other plans. 
He goes down there and he risks his wife and his life. And Pharaoh finds him out and kicks him out. And he returns to the land where he came from. And in fact, the story's funny. If you read the details of the story, I think this is humorous. He returns to where his tent, when he comes back into Canaan land, back into Canaan, he returns to the exact spot where his tent had been pitched in the very beginning in Canaan. It says between Bethel and Ai. And he returns to the exact spot, to the altar at which he had built earlier and worshipped earlier when he had first come into the land. And at that time, he, has, he worships God. And think of this life. He comes into the land. He comes down 400 miles into the land. He journeys around. He pitches his tent. He builds an altar. He journeys around a little bit. It's too tough here. He heads off to Egypt. He gets almost killed. He gets kicked out of Egypt. He comes back and he ends up in the exact same spot that he had started where God had brought him to much, much, much earlier. He's in the exact same spot, a detour that took him right back to where he started. How many times has that happened in your life? It's happened in my life so many times I can't count that God lets me chase a rabbit in my life because I think it's the right thing. And he brings me right back to the exact same spot. And he says, "Uh, have you learned yet? And that's exactly what he's doing here. You know, God could have somehow stopped him from taking this detour. God could have kept him from going to Egypt. God could have kept him from risking his life. God could have kept him from risking the plan of God. God could have kept him from risking his wife. But God didn't stop any of it. And do you know why? Do you know why God didn't stop it? Do you know why God doesn't stop us on our harebrained detours that we do at times? Do you know why God doesn't stop the prodigal son from running off and spending all his father's stuff and then coming back to the exact same spot? He came back to where? His father's house. The exact same spot he started, except he came back broke. You know why God doesn't stop us? Because detours change us. Detours change us. Detours don't change the circumstances. He came back to Canaan, and what did he find? Canaanites in a land and a famine. (laughs) Nothing had changed. There's still Canaanites in a land and a famine. He hadn't escaped anything. But you know what did happen? He came back a different man. He came back a man with a different set of values who understood God a little better, better and understood his weaknesses a little better. You know, Abraham began the detour thinking that he could come up with a better plan than God. You know what? I'm going to move to Egypt. You know, it almost was a tragic event that cost him and his wife and everybody else their lives. But he comes back to the exact same spot. And he found an altar that he had already built. And he bows down before God. And he says, God, you know what? I'm ready to do it your way. God, I thought my way was best, but God, I'm ready to do it your way. Friends, the detour shaped him into someone who was usable. Somebody who is more usable than he had been before. And that's what God does in detours. He lets us kind of come to the end of our rope, and we come back to that exact same spot, and he says, okay, now, Mark, you think you want to do it my way now? You think that maybe you didn't know best? You thought this was a good idea. This is too hard, or this wasn't hard enough, or this wasn't a big enough challenge. There's some other mountains you've got to climb. And he takes you right back to the same spot, and you're more usable than you had been before. You know what? He learned a lesson that we all have to learn. Jesus summarized the lesson this way. Jesus, thousands of years later, summarizes the exact same concept years later when he says this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He was telling Abram the same thing. Abram was learning the same lesson Jesus was trying to teach us. You know what, friends? Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
that I am the vine, He is the vine, and, and we are the branches. And if a man or a woman remains in Christ, does it His way, and, and He's in us, then we will bear much fruit. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. That's what Abraham, Abram, was learning. Go ahead and do it your own way, Abram. When you figure it out it doesn't work, come on back. And I'm going to show you, if you do it my way, you're going to bear much fruit. And he did, didn't he? We have salvation because of fruit he bore. That's, that's the fruit he bore. He, his, his son, and then his son's son, and his son's son, and his son's son, and his son's son, and eventually Jesus. That's some fruit that remains. He learned that God's way is always the best. Friends, detours serve to prove to us that our own ways don't succeed so that when we come back to God and say, lead me. That's what God wants. God wants to get us a point of humility where we say, you know what, God, lead me. And this, get this, friends, that we say it and we really mean it. And I'll tell you from life experience, there's times I've said it and I thought I meant it, but I didn't really mean it because I had to take one more detour. I take one more detour figuring out I really didn't understand it. I really didn't know it best. But we say, God, lead me and really mean it. And we become desperate to remain in Him because we know that that's where real life is found. That's where a fruitful life is found when we remain connected to the branch. Friends, isn't that true? Haven't you found that out in your own life? Chased a few rabbit trails. Isn't it the thing you want to try to rescue your children from? I was praying about this this week, and I'm like, God, my kids are going to chase some rabbits. They're going to take some. They're going to take some detours in their life. You're going to have this plan, and, and they're going to go out this way, and I'm going to be so frustrated, and I'm going to be so brokenhearted seeing them go out this trail. But God, you know what? Bring them back to the place where they understand it's all about you. Some of you are you're brokenhearted because your kids are off on a trail somewhere. One of you talked to me about it today. One of you said, you know what, your grandchild, you wish so much they'd been here last week because the presence of God just did great things last week and a whole bunch of people came to Jesus last Sunday and, and you know what, which, praise the Lord, has been happening all the time and, and uh, said, I just wish they were here. And I said, you know what, God's got a plan. You know what, sometimes He lets us. He doesn't ordain those detours. Matter of fact, God doesn't want us to chase after those detours, really. But He'll let us go on them so that we can come on back. We come on back, we're more usable. You think the prodigal son was a little more usable when he came back? You think maybe he listened to dad a little bit more when he came back? He humbled himself and said, just make me a servant, dad. And dad said, ah, get the robe. Slaughter the fatted, the fatted, fatted calf. Give him a ring for his finger. You know what? Dad is glad he's back. When you come running back, friends, God is glad that you're back. Those detours are designed to get us to a place where we're more usable by God. You might be in a detour right now. God's trying to do something in your life to make you more usable. One more observation about Abram's life. We're going to, this is going to be rather a brief one because we're going to end with this one. This is what we're going to do um, at the end of our service. One more observation from this text that we find out about Abram's life is this, that God restores us and leads us when we build our lives on worship. That God restores us and leads us when we build our lives on worship. We see in Abram's life that he continually built altars and worshiped God. 
And it was in these times when he built altars and worshipped God that God would restore him and lead him on in his journey. And God would do something like saying as he's worshipping, Okay, Abram, pick up your eyes and look around. All the land you see, that's going to be for your descendants. And God would say, I'm going to lead you on, Abram. I'm going to lead you on when you're worshipping. Church living lives as worshippers continually brings us into a place where God can restore us and correct our course. When we constantly come back to the altar, we constantly come back to worship, it opens us up to the influence of God. When you stood here this morning and you sang and you worshipped, you weren't just singing songs. You were opening up yourself to the influence of God. You're you're declaring truth. You're you're praising. You're saying, God, I'm hungry. God, I'm, I'm, I'm surrender. I surrender all, God. You're opening up yourself to the influence of God. And church, I want to close with this idea. Because all of us need to be continually connected. All of us need to continually be connected, but also because some here may really be on a detour right now. And you need to get back on track. Or some of you are in really tough places right now, and you need God's assurance that He's going to do something great through your struggle. You need His assurance. Friends, I promise you this, you will find that in worship.